Hey there, welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfein, musicologist and author of Everything is on the One, the first guide of funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. It's just full of funky richness. Tasty stuff. Whether you're watching on our YouTube broadcast or on funkinstuff.net or through Vimeo or listening to the audio podcast version on iTunes or from other leading providers, as always, I thank you very much for your continued interest and support. Speaking of which, if you don't already, make sure to subscribe. Subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. Join the masses that are subscribing. And if you've already done so, tell a friend, tell family. We need that support. Thank you. So appreciated. This episode features one of the founding members of the R&B and hip-hop group and production collective known as Full Force. Singer, composer, and producer Lou George Jr., better known as Bowlegged Lou. The six-member Full Force, which also included Lou's two brothers and three cousins, rivaled famed teams like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis and L.A. Reid and Babyface as the 1980s most prolific writing, producing, and performing entities. In addition to their own nine albums, six of which dropped during the 1980s, and the most recent of which hit as recently as 2014, Full Force was responsible for even bigger hit albums and songs with several other artists and also worked with many superstars. Among their primary acts were rappers UTFO and Roxanne Chante, R&B pop group Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam, dance pop singer Samantha Fox, R&B singer Cheryl Pepsi Riley, Lala, ex-girlfriend, and Allure. Including Full Force recordings, these acts top 25 R&B and or pop hits included. Alice, I Want You Just For Me, Bang, Zoom, Let's Go, All Cry It Out, If You Love Me Just A Little, Love Is For Suckers, Like Me And You, Head To Toe, Lost In Emotion, Someone To Love Me For Me, All In My Mind, Everything Will Be Fine, Your Love Is So Deaf, Naughty Girls Need Love Too, I Wanna Have Some Fun, Friends Before Lovers, just get it together, me, myself, and I. Little Jackie wants to be a star. Why can't you come home and all cry it out? Additionally, Full Force produced and wrote most of James Brown's 1988 comeback album that included the title track hit, I'm Real, Static, and She Looks All Types A Good. The group also produced Try Me, an R&B hit for actress Jasmine Guy, and the top five pop hits, All I Have to Give by the Backstreet Boys, and Don't Funk With My Heart by the Black Eyed Peas. Among the other well-known names Full Force has worked with are Curtis Blow, The Force MDs, Bob Dylan, Patti LaBelle, Jill Scott, Little Kim, Rihanna, Justin Timberlake and NSYNC, Nicki Minaj, Houdini, Philip Bailey, Isaac Hayes, B.B. King, um, Anthrax, Method Man, Nile Rogers, Howard Hewitt, Melissa Morgan, Bobby Humphrey, Regina Bell, and Selena. Full Force has also appeared in movies and TV, including the cult film classic House Party, where they got to spend time with George Clinton. In this in-depth interview, Bullegged Lou 
reveals how the group got started and became full force, how they honed their talents as writers and producers before releasing their own debut. He also shares stories behind many of the hit songs and what it was like working with those artists. He discusses his many brushes with some of the music industry's biggest names. He recounts the challenges of making an album with James Brown, and he gets into some personal obstacles as well as tells what is on the group's horizon. So buckle up for the full story of the powerhouse production team so appropriately named Full Force. And I'm so pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership, a founding member of the prolific R&B and hip hop collective known as Full Force, Lucian George Jr., better known as Bowlegged Lou. Lou, how's it going today? Oh my God, you said my birth name. <laughs> <laughs> Lucian George Jr. <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing great, brother. How you feeling? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. No problem. You're coming to us from where today? I'm in Pennsylvania, where I live. Okay. But I'm back. But I'm back and forth in New York City. You know, we were full force was raised in Brooklyn, actually. You know, and that's where we are. Uh, that's where we got our start. Uh huh. Well, you know, I've been with you since the beginning because, you know, when you guys came on the scene, I was right in the throes of my peak DJ period. So I got all those records and, wow. and you helped keep the, the, the dance floors packed. So I much appreciated that. Thank you, brother. Yeah. Um, so ready to uh, go down memory lane a little bit and then bring us yep. up to speed? Okay, Let's cool. go. So uh, you mentioned the Brooklyn thing. Can you tell me, Lou, you know, how you first got into music and how Full Force came, you know, to be Full Force? My beloved father is the one that's taught us singing. Uh, my father, uh, Lucian George Sr., he's the one that taught us singing. And then what happened is that him and him and my, um, yeah, I'm doing an interview, Skype. I thought you was pulling. You okay? Okay. I'm sorry, man. You're going to do some editing. Anyway, my, my beloved uh, father actually taught us singing, taught me and my two brothers, uh, Paul Anthony and B. Fine, the same three brothers that was beating up Kid and Play in the movie House Party. And um, we learned how to sing because of my father. So then my father and my uncle, my uncle Sito, they're the ones that groomed us into a group with the three of us. Let me see if you see that picture right there of them. I don't know if you see a picture of my father and my uncle. And then that white guy there kissing my father, Steve Salem. Do you see that picture? Uh, there's, you're right in between two things there. Oh, really? Damn it. I see a, a black and white picture to the right. Right. Anyway, forget about it. I don't know what I'm trying to do. Anyway, so what happened is that uh, my father and uncle, they groomed us to be, uh, be a singing group, me and my two brothers, the three of us. And we used to sing on the street at the Apollo Theater for money. And then before you know it, we was inside the Apollo Theater where we did the amateur show. Uh, back in the day before Showtime at the Apollo uh, came, the Apollo Theater in Harlem used to always have amateur show every week, every Wednesday. And you had to win four times in a row, first place, in order to appear on the professional show. So the four of us, we went by the name of the Amplifiers back then, the three of us, I mean. We got on stage and with my the tutelage of my father, uh, Lucian George Sr., and my uncle Sito, 
we did a song called Cloud Nine, which was recorded by the Temptations back in the day. Temptations is my favorite group of all time, uh, my favorite musical legacy. In fact, they're coming to New York City in their own big Broadway smash show that Otis Williams, who's the last surviving member of the Temptations, invited me to come to the um, opening night. So I'm excited about that. But we did Cloud Nine. We won first, first prize four, four weeks in a row, and we got to appear on the professional show. The man, uh, it, was a, it was another artist standing in the wings. He went by the name of Joe Tex, and he got us to be on his professional show with the Whispers and other acts like that. And that's how we grew. So we grew from the amplifiers as a local band where my brother B-Fine started playing drums and we incorporated our cousins, Baby Jerry, Shy Shy, and Kurt. And we got together and became Full Force. I came up with the name Full Force because our stage show was just power packed. I mean, our show was crazy. And even when we went on the road as full force, the professionals, our show was crazy. Our show was known to be really crazy. So that's how we became full force. And that's how we got to be, you know, in the business with the singing and everything like that um, before the record deal. How um, how did you all get your nicknames? I mean, every one of you has a nickname. Yeah, th that's because we're crazy. And, um, you know, we had UTFO. That was a group that we managed also with Steve Salem, and they had nicknames, Kango Kid, Dr. Ice, uh, Educated Rapper, may he rest in peace, and um, Mixmaster Ice. And then when we did Lisa Lisa, we instead of making her Lisa, we got to make her Lisa Lisa, you know? And then, then for us, when we came on the scene, besides Full Force, we said, oh, we got to give ourselves some nicknames too. And we came up with the nicknames Bowlegged Lou, be fine, Paul Anthony, Baby Jerry, Shy Shy, Kurt, and that's how we was full force. I'll never forget when um I came up with the name Bowlegged Lou because I am Bowlegged. Uh, one of my brothers was like, "Ah, don't call yourself Bowlegged Lou. That's corny. People are gonna think you're a wrestler." And I said, "Yeah, but if the group becomes successful, I bet you that crazy name stands out a lot, and it has. So, <laughs> so that's how we came up with our different nicknames and everything like that." Did you guys sort of model yourself after any other acts? I mean, you mentioned The Temptations, but were there any other big influences on you early on? There's a lot of big influences, such as Prince, such as James Brown, such as Earth, Wind & Fire. The Temptations was actually my favorite group of all time, but we incorporated a lot of our background vocals in a lot of our songs because of The Temptations and Earth, Wind & Fire and James Brown with the funk and Prince. We kind of melded a, a lot of that into that. I mean, it was so crazy because when we were just a group, we couldn't get a record deal. And I remember Steve Salem, our former co-manager, may he rest in peace, he went to school with me. He said, yo guys, you know what? I think in order for you guys to get a record deal, I think you guys should produce other acts, write and produce for other people. Then I think once you become a success with that, then you guys will get a record deal of your own. And I'm like, I didn't care about that. I was the only one that didn't care about it because I never heard of a group writing and producing for anybody. Like, there was nobody that produced for other groups. We became the first of those. So that's when we got involved with Curtis Blow. This is before we really took off. Curtis Blow, we did like five songs with him. Uh, his one of his biggest hits was a song called Basketball that we uh, 
we co-wrote and we and we played on. And then after that, we got together some young rappers in the neighborhood, Kango Kid, Dr. Ice, Mixmaster Ice, Educated Rapper, UTFO. And before you know it, we we came out with Roxanne Roxanne, which was actually a B side of a record we thought was the A side. Because <laughs> my brother B Fine woke up one morning and said, Hey man, let's do a B side. Because the name of the song was called Hanging Out, which we thought that was going to be the single, which we thought that was the single. And we put and we made it a single on Select Records, but Roxanne Roxanne was on the B side of that song. You know, back in those days, just in case people don't know, back in the days you had the A side, you had the B side on the record, and you flipped it over. And but the B side was like the afterthought. And uh before you know it, Roxanne Roxanne blew up and became huge smash, which was crazy. You know, yeah. didn't expect them. Just for my viewers, so I think the Curtis Below was around 82, 83, and then the UTFO was 84, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Yep, yeah. 83 and 84, UTFO, yeah. So that Roxanne, Roxanne, I mean, that became such a phenomenon. You know, why don't you talk a little bit about that with how it created these response records and this whole sort of, uh, you know, phenomenon? Yeah, man, that be that that song it was a smash hit already but then roxanne shantae came out with a song called roxanne's revenge and when they originally came out with it they were using our very same old track they just looped it which was dumb because we took them to court and then before you know it roxanne's revenge we got co co-writers on that to this day still and um after after roxanne's revenge then you had Roxanne's mother, Roxanne's parents, Roxanne's dog, Roxanne's grandparents, do the Roxanne, Rexanne, Roxanne. I mean, it was ridiculous. Roxanne's a man. And then I said, yo, man, we might as well jump on our own bandwagons as well. And then we came out with the real Roxanne, who we had uh, Joanne Martinez, which was a Puerto Rican girl. We, we grew her and she's the one in the video of UTFO's Roxanne, Roxanne as well. And she became the real Roxanne. And it was crazy. But then we went on to do other hit songs with UTFO as well. We did like all their albums for select records. And um, well, being on the crazy. West Coast, especially, I was, you know, like, what is this with the Roxanne stuff? <laughs> crazy. I <Yeah>. know. <laughs> um, was there an actual, an actual in the flesh Roxanne that inspired the original song? No, just somebody that's fine, you know, it's beautiful. That's what we looked at. Um, you know, just a, a, a girl of our imagination. And the police um one had Roxanne song too, not too far before that. Huh? Police had the Roxanne song also, not too far before that. That right. That was another idea that my brother B Fine got. He said, Hey man, police made it famous, so why not? Let's call it Roxanne. Because he just woke up and said, Let's call the song Roxanne, Roxanne. And then we sang on it. We used big beat. We were like the first uh, recording group to use like four beats on one record. We used three beats on one record. And one of them was the was the big beat, which was a famous hip hop loop that we used not only in that, but in our songs too, Unselfish Lover and everything like that. So you were rolling thanks to that. And you finally got your first record out in 85. How did that come together? Well, before that, after after UTFO, there was a song that we wrote that my brother B Fine spearheaded, and it was called "I Wonder If I Take You Home." 
And what happened is that we went out to audition female singers just to sing that song, figuring we'd get a deal with it. And uh, B, my brother B Fine was, was steadfast wanting a Puerto Rican girl, a Spanish girl, because there was nothing like that. No Spanish girl was doing dance, hip hop, uh, pop, R&B, all rolled into one. So when we auditioned, um, I remember Lisa coming in to audition to do the song, and she started singing these other songs that Mike from Cult Jam had her sing. They were horrible songs that Mike wrote. And she almost didn't get the gig. And then before she, because she looked beautiful. And we're like, man, she's great. And then before she walked out, my brother Paul said, is there a song that you could sing for us that maybe, you know, you're more familiar with? And then Lisa sang a, a song called For Your Eyes Only, which was originally done by Sheena Easton. And that sealed it. We said, okay, we found it. I mean, on the backside, I was trying to sneak Cheryl Pepsi Riley, who we also wrote uh, a number one record for Thanks for My Child for, to be, you know, to do the Lisa song. But, you know, nobody was having that. So Lisa came up with I Want If I Take You Home. Then that song, that, that was a phenomenon because we was in England working with Samantha Fox at the time. And I Want If I Take You Home was on a compilation album. It was a, on a compilation album with other songs like Double Dutch Bus, um, Malcolm McLaurin, uh, Buffalo Gals, um, A-E-I-O-U, all these different hit songs. I Wonder If I Take You Home was like the only new song on the compilation album. But by the time we came back from England, that song was a smash. It was such a smash that Columbia Records said, yo, y'all got to hurry up and do an album because the record was, was taken off like wildfire. And then we, we, we got in the studio and we just hurry up with an album. Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam with Full Force. And, you know, the reason why we put with Full Force because we was playing on every song. We was the music and we did all the background vocals with Lisa. So, yeah, it was with Full Force. And, you know, we let people know that. We let people know we produced that. And um, those albums, they had Can You Feel the Beat, had All Cried Out which was a song the company didn't want to release because they wanted to keep Lisa just in dance mode. And then when All Cried Out came out, it was another big smash. And then after the Lisa stuff, then yeah, Steve Salem was right. Full Force got their own deal right there at Columbia Records. And the rest was history. We came out with Alice, I Want You Just For Me, which was a big one for us as well. It was huge in England too, top 10 actually. So we were excited. Well, you guys had a great year in 85. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, so, you know, you guys, you're six guys. How, how did you produce as a unit? You know, what were you guys like in, in the studio and, and making that happen? Well, the way we work is a method to our madness. It's six guys, three brothers, three cousins. And from then to even now, you know, we, we split everything six ways, production and songwriting. And even if two people work on a song, like I would say, I wonder if I take you home. Uh, B Fine initiated that and then Kurt was riding shotgun doing that. B wrote all the lyrics and then we'd come in and do a lot of the uh, vocal arrangements, like the different backgrounds and different parts like that. Uh, a song like All Cried Out, my brother Paul Anthony wrote those lyrics, which was some of the best lyrics I've ever seen wrote. Uh, but, but even if he did it, we all still get credit and we all were still in the studio working it together. You know what I mean? I did um, me and baby Jerry spearheaded um, the two, the, the, the Samantha Fox hits. Me and baby Jerry would always spearhead that. 
And sometimes the group would be in there, sometimes not. So it's a method to our madness. Like even if two or three people's working on a song, full force. If it's five of us, full force. Whenever it comes to the mixing, all of us would be around full force. So it was always all for one and one for all. When we did James Brown, me and Paul spearheaded a lot of those songs. You know, B came in at the tail end and did one song. He said, hey, man, I'm going to just do one song. It's no big deal. But we was having a rough time with Mr. Brown. <laughs> and B's last song was like, you know, Mr. Brown didn't even want to do it at one time. It's so funny, man. But yeah, there's a method to our madness where we all work, and but it's always full force altogether, doing, working in there, whether it's keyboards. I'll never forget, this was crazy. I'll never forget when the turning point of the drum machine was invented. And because we always did live live instrumentation and B, my brother B fine, who was the drummer when we when we did, I think, Alice or something like that. This was the first time that he was not playing the drums. And I'll never forget how depressed he was as he went to the side and he was replaced by a drum machine. He later on adapted because then he started doing drum programming also. But I'll never forget that. I was crazy. Yeah. Back in those days. Yeah. Um, did any of the six of you have any formal musical training? No. Nope. Everybody played by ear. Wow. Everybody played by ear. Yeah. How did you uh, uh, come to meet Samantha Fox? How did you make that connection? Well, Jive Records at the time, they signed us to a publishing deal. And, and they were signing us to a publishing deal for full force music, but they signed us to all, everything that we wrote. So being that they was our publishers, it was Zamba Music, they connected us with Samantha Fox. And I remember us meeting her in England, and mm, she's so fine. And um, that's how we met up with her. And she was a very naughty girl and very, very sensuous like us. And that's how we ended up working with her. And she was a pleasure, pleasure to work with. Great, great person, too. Yeah. So when you would approach a Samantha Fox versus Elisa, Lisa, would you try to do it differently or, you know, because there's a, there's a uniformity in the full force flavor, but I'm sure you sort of tailor it in some kind of way. Yeah. I mean, listen, and I remember Lisa, she was a little jealous too when we did those Samantha Fox songs because we was working with her at the same time, but we, we, we made Samantha Fox more of a, a little more dance popish, really. And plus she was from England. So that really distinguished her from Lisa. You know what I mean? I mean, they both was 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 uh besides their musical uh artistry, they were both known to have nice award-winning breasts, both of them. So that added a lot also for the for the pictorial scenario of things. That's when people was doing videos, and it's like, man, but um, yeah, that's how we yeah, yeah, exactly. Photogenic. <laughs> 3D. <laughs> yeah. So that's so that's how we um you know differentiate them. You know, when we do somebody like a Cheryl Pepsi Riley, Cheryl was a soul R and B singer, and that's that was the lane that she stayed in, basically. Yeah. So I mean Lisa Lisa and, and Culture, they went on to have so many hits and were so successful, and they fully crossed over too. Yes, uh, yes, you know. Did you guys anticipate that level of fame and stardom for them? And and did it take the label by surprise? It definitely took the label by surprise, for sure. Like I said, 
with I wonder if I take you home was smashed. It was scrambling. Like we got to do the album. They had the album cover before we had the album. <laughs> Who's in the studio working on it? But it took them by surprise. They were surprised to get into. They, they saw themselves getting into hip hop dance music, which they wasn't really into then. And it took them by storm. And if you think that took them by storm, when we went on and did the second album, Spanish Fly, and we did songs like Head to Toe and Lost in Emotion, that took them by surprise also. That's basically us doing uh, Lisa Lisa meets Diana Ross and the Supremes Motown type thing, you know? But that was number one on the pop charts and number one on the urban charts as well. Yeah, I mean, they were so catchy, those tunes. I mean, they were just... Um, kind of rival Janet Jackson's stuff around that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and did you guys also orchestrate the videos? Were you involved in that part of it? or You mean the videos? Yeah. The videos that they did for, for the songs? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. We was involved in a lot of the videos. Our own videos, of course, we was involved in from the from Alice, I Want You Just For Me, the temporary love thing, even all the way up to when we did Ain't My Type of Hype, which was the main uh, song for the movie House Party, cult, which is a cult classic now, celebrating 29 years of House Party, where me and my two brothers are full force. We played bullies chasing after kid and play. And we were scene stealers in that movie also. But um, I'll never forget when we was with when we was with Columbia Records and we did All Cried Out. Me and my brother Paul, we did the lead vocals for the male part. And Lisa did the pop. Being that Lisa crossed over, then of course here comes the pop department putting their hand in, in everything. And they're like, hey guys, listen, we know you guys are doing the male parts in uh, All Cried Out. But um, and I know we're getting ready to do a video. We, we, we like we see you guys in the video, but we see you guys more as silhouettes. What do you think? <laughs> we said silhouettes. Man, we're not gonna be no silhouettes. And see, we had carte blanche because we also had Lisa signed to our production company, and plus we were co-managing her with Steve Salem, and. They, you know, we could have our way with certain things. We said, no, we got to be creative because me and Paul are not going to be silhouettes in this. And it worked out that we weren't, you know, and instead we played the consciousness of Lisa's love interest. So whenever we sang a part, they would show the guy's head thinking. So at least, you know, they Columbia had the effort to do that. But, um, yeah, we had a lot of say so with the videos and stuff like that, for sure. When you did House Party, did you get to meet George Clinton? Oh, yeah, man. Are you kidding? We love George Clinton. We was in the scene with George Clinton, actually. Okay. It's been a while since I saw the movie, but yeah. So what was that like? I mean, what meeting him must have been wild. Oh, yeah, man, because he was another one of our heroes, you know, and he um, he played the old school DJ in House Party, old school DJ in House Party, and we were just picking his ear, um, telling him what big fans we are of his, Parliament Funkadelic, and it was incredible just to be on the same set with George Clinton like, man, you know, some people was looking at us like like Kid and Play looked at us as as wow, full force. And, you know, we didn't really you know think we were like all that. But I guess we were to a lot of people. But uh, George Clinton was a fan of ours, too. We found out, you know, but that was that was incredible, man. Incredible. Yeah. The Heaven Brothers are big P-Funk fans. I know. So huge, huge yeah. cosmic slop. All of them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um. So as far as Full Force goes, I mean, you guys had your own, you know, thing. And how did you conceptualize 
you know, what full force would, would be in the musical world? Well, all, all we know is that we were very versatile with what we did. And even, even when it was hard to get meetings with the black executives, we even said to ourselves, yo, let's meet with some white executives and let's do some white acts. And that's when I went up to Jive Records and I know Barry Weiss, who was the head of Jive Records, you know, they, I said, yo, we need to do some white people, man. There's six of us in full force, you know, because we knew like the white acts was getting huge budgets, huge money, overseas stuff. So then Barry said, hey, and because with Samantha Fox, we were rocking and rolling and they featured us in the Samantha Fox hits also. They wanted to feature us. But then what happens is that when we, I went up to a meeting with Barry Weiss and said, hey man, I think this group would be perfect for you guys. And it was the Backstreet Boys. I took back the video to the guys. I said, guys, we got to get on this project. They're not big in New York right now. They're not big in the United States, but they're huge overseas. So let's get on this project. And we did like two songs for the, the first album. One song being one of their biggest records ever, which is called All I Have to Give. But my love is all I have to give. Without you, I just think I can live. We was, we did, after we did the Backstreet Boys, we did Justin Timberlake and NSYNC. We did Britney Spears. We did LFO. We kept saying, we, we kept saying, man, full force. We just love white people. Because <laughs> at that time, it was crazy. Everything was just blowing up with the teen pop. Gravy band era. Yeah. yeah, the boy band. We were like right in the middle, and people were surprised to find out that we was we was like the chocolate straw stirring that early boy band stuff. They were shocked when they found out that it was full force. I'll never forget. I think Method Man. I think Method Man, the rapper Method Man, was on the air, and he was telling Funkmaster Flex, "Hey, yo, you know who's doing all the boy band stuff? You know that's full force, right? Get out of here, full force with the Jerry Curls, House Party. Yep, that's full force." And yeah, man, we just was doing our thing with them. Yeah, that that really uh, that changed big time for us, which was great. Wow. What about though, as your own uh, act, when when you were out there as full force, performing as full force on the stage, you know, what was your um, objective? Because you know, when I saw you guys, I was like, wow, who? You know, wow, these guys are buff. You know, they're um, into like this fitness thing, but they're also playing instruments and. I mean, what, was, what was your whole concept? Yeah, well, our concept was that's why we call ourselves Full Force because our show is very dynamic. But then again, my brother Paul Anthony started the workout train. He started working out and to get buff. And then we all follow suit, basically, just to have great physiques. And we were the first R&B hip hop act to actually do that, get in the gym. And then when we came out, we made it known, yeah, well, it's all about physical fitness. We'd pose, we'd show barbells, lifting an Alice video, and we did that because people were so surprised. And when we do our shows, man, our shows was wild. We were the first ones to be taking off our shirts and showing up. Nobody was doing that before Full Force. We was the first. I'll never forget, I saw Michael Bivens at a, um, it was a, it was a screening for Bobby Brown's movie for BET. And Michael Bivens comes to me, and said, yo, man, Lou, what? How do y'all feel when y'all be seeing these people taking off their shirts now and showing their muscles and all of that? How do y'all feel? <laughs> y'all started that. I said, yeah, but it's fun. Because on our stage show, we come out performing and there's a segment of the show where Paul Anthony, I said, how many ladies would like to see Paul Anthony take it off? They go crazy. Then he would take off his top 
I started flexing. And then I said, how many of y'all like to see Paul Anthony pull it down? <laughs> he pulled it down and showed his G-string, and he started doing muscular poses. The women ate it up. And we're performing at the same time and playing instruments. People are like, these guys are jerry curls, and they're buff, and they're playing, and they could sing, too? That was, like, so unheard of. <laughs> it was crazy. We was having the time of our lives. What were the audiences like? Were they mostly women? Because I, I didn't, oh, I didn't yeah. get to a full force show. A lot of women, a lot of women. It was men, women and guys. So I remember Jamie Foxx at the time. Jamie Foxx, when we when we was at a movie premiere, Jamie Foxx came to us and started duplicating some of our steps. He said, yo, man, when I first saw y'all, the first time I'm like, man, I got to keep my woman away from these guys. You know, it was hilarious. But no, it was a lot of women. The, the screams was deafening, man, when we would come out. We even went on tour with Salt and Pepper and they asked if we could just close the show because we was we would tire out the crowd before they got on, and we never wanted to close the show though, no matter what. <laughs> did you guys ever uh, do any covers or only your own stuff? No, we did covers. If you go on YouTube, there's a video called "Girl," which was written by Prince for uh, Mars Day in the Time. We did a great cover of that. In fact, I saw us do it on Soul Train, and that was great. And um, we did um. We even did, what did we, oh, we even did, I don't know if you remember the song Float On by the Floaters. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I'm a cancer, I'm a Virgo. But we did it, we did it on this album called Still Standing, which should have been bigger than what it was, but it did all right. But it was on this album called Still Standing. And I just got to a point where I just started going float on crazy. And we did a float on version with um, Gerald Levert. Hi, I'm Gerald, I'm a cancer. And then Kevon Edmonds, Montel Jordan, and who else? And Genuine. And they was on there. And then we did a female version with uh, Vivica Fox talking, opening up, you know. And then she introduces Regina Bell, Melissa Morgan, the late, great Vesta. May she rest in peace. And then there's a part where Melissa's talking. Um, I'm a Sagittarius and I'm Melissa Morgan. And I like ball-headed men. <laughs> ball-headed men like Michael Jordan, LL Cool J, and Isaac Hayes. And then Melissa starts singing, take my hand, come with me, baby. Then right after that, who comes in to talk? Uh, I'm a Leo, and I'm Isaac Hayes. And we had Isaac Hayes with us, too. Man, what an honor that was. And he did the talk part for Float On, and then he sang as well. So we were going Float On crazy, you know. But it was great, though. That was one of the later records, right, like uh, in the 2000s? Yeah, on a Still Standing album, 2004, I think that was. Right. Mm -hmm. I got to talk to you more about the James Brown record because, um, you know, I bought that when it came out and I was thrilled because I thought it was the best thing he had done in years. And um, I have, here, yeah, I got the, so it had I'm Real, Static was a great track and I really liked uh, She Looks All Types A Good also. Um, what was that experience like and how did you get such great results with, with The Godfather at that point? What a story. Well, you know, at that time when we was working, first of all, when we got the gig, we were so shocked. I remember telling the guys that we're going to produce James Brown and they started jumping on me and it was so exciting. And before we went to work with him, because this was around the time when we worked with Mr. Brown, he started, that's when he started getting in trouble. You know what I mean? With, the, with his wife and shooting up the car and the car chase. I mean, we was right in the middle of that. And we had to wait for some of the craziness to, to stop. But um, 
I remember going into this, getting ready to go into the studio, and we got a little nervous because people kept telling us that he was mean in the studio, and we would hear all these rumors. So I called somebody that produced him, which was Dan Hartman. Dan Hartman did um, Living in America with Mr. Brown. And Dan, Dan Hartman had his own hits, like Relight, Relight Your Fire and Instant, Instant Replay. Replay. Yeah, we love that. And I'm like, so I'm on the phone with Dan Hartman. So he's like, all right, here's what you got to do. You don't call him James at all. You better call him Mr. Brown. Okay, if you call him James, it's going to be hell to pay. Okay, no problem. I mean, we called him Mr. Brown. We never called him James, Mr. Brown. And then he's and then he said, they said, now nah, listen, if Mr. Brown could be kind of crazy sometimes, you know, he'd be dealing with the um what's that? What's that? What's that drug? Oh, Angel Dust. And I didn't we wasn't so so hip to all of that. So I said, Yeah, Mr. Brown be dabbling in that. But if his wife is in the studio, don't look at her. <laughs> I'm like, don't look at her. What why? Well, one time we did a session and Mr. Brown stopped the whole session and he said, yo, Dan, what you doing? I'm like, what, 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 Mr. Brown? What am I doing? I saw you looking at my wife. Don't look. Why, were you, why are you looking at my wife? Mr. Brown, I wasn't looking at your wife. You, you, you was looking at my wife, Dan. Why are you looking at my wife? So then Dan Hartman said, now, Lou, he thought I was looking at his wife. For like half an hour, we're going back and forth. And I'm like, Lou, listen, I'm gay, right? Why the hell would I want to look at his wife? And in my mind, because this was 1988, in my mind, I'm like, wow, Dan Hartman is gay. And he just told me, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, man. And then when we when we worked with Mr. Brown, he walked in there and you know, when he was downstairs, we sent Paul to go downstairs and greet him because we were like kind of in awe. Nobody puts us in awe. But with Mr. Brown, we were in awe. And he came up there. Gentlemen, gentlemen, how you doing? I love y'all. I love y'all. And he loved Alice. That was his favorite full force song. And there we were, man, and working with Mr. Brown. The first song we did was a song called Time to Get Busy. And he's up there dancing in the booth. And I'm like, damn, that's James Brown. And, you know, as we work with him, we started noticing just certain things. Um, you know, he would be offbeat a little bit. And we just thought maybe Mr. Brown's getting old. But come to find out, it was, you know, he was dealing with some of the drugs, you know. But um, he would, uh, it would be like a lot of crazy things happening. But we never told the, the press or anything that we had a hard time. But some songs, some songs was crazy. You know, Mr. Brown would say, like Reverend Al Sharpton and Mr. Brown was very close. So whenever he, Reverend Al Sharpton would come into the studio, we know we're going to wait like at least an hour before they start start talking. But I remember he was wearing red shades. Mr. Brown was wearing red glasses. And he, Mr. Sharp, Al Sharpton said, so how you doing, Mr. Brown? Because even he called him Mr. Brown. And, and Mr. Brown said, Reverend, I'm wearing red shades, but I'm seeing blue. You know, this would be some of the stuff he would say. You know, Maceo Parker, we got Maceo to play on three cuts, which was his legendary saxophone player. But at this time, he's like, I don't mind if you use Maceo. I just don't want to be in the studio when y'all with, with him. I just don't want to be here. I'm like, wow, what happened? I don't know. Y'all can use him, but I don't want to be here. So we got Maceo to come by himself. And Maceo started telling us stories like, yeah, Mr. Brown, sometimes he'd be on that stuff. And, you know, it's crazy. You know, one time he called me in the middle of the night and he said, Maceo! How's your car running? Then he hung up. 
Omacio, get rid of your dog. <laughs> he said, all right. And at one time he said, Maceo, why was all them people screaming for me when I was on stage? And then he, then he said, but Mr. Brown, that's because you're soul brother number one and you're the godfather of stole and because they love you. Yeah, yeah, Maceo, I know all that, but why were they screaming? <laughs> so, so crazy, mm. you know, but we still love him. Treated him with respect. One time we was taking photos with him and the photographers were snapping pictures. Then out of the blue, Mr. Brown does a split. Just when when we stopped taking the pictures, then he does a split out of the blue and nobody caught it. And the photographer's like, Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown, do that again, do that again. And he said, Nope, you should have got it when I did it. <laughs> and he walked and he just walked out. <laughs> I was crazy. Every time we would see Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy would tell us. Man, full force, y'all messed up James Brown, man. Y'all, that's, that's the reason why he's messed up. <laughs> it was hilarious, you know. I'm going to send you this little video that I did. It's a 60-second tribute to Mr. Brown where, where I talk about the whole Eddie Murphy thing, man. It was great, though. Yeah, God bless him. Well, considering all that, I mean, the end result is astounding. Yeah, it was a gold album. Uh, the singles, the, the, his like I said, his last two top ten, last two top five records was written and produced by us. I'm Real went to number two on the Billboard charts, and Static went to number five. His last, you know, big hits ever. You know, but Graham, I mean, you mentioned Living in America, which was okay, but to me, you guys recaptured the essence of the Godfather's funk. Yeah, and we had to. And we had to add some of, uh, you know, the music of that day as well. But um, like when we did songs like I'm like Static, we feel we really captured it big with that song. And then even I'm Real, we did that more as a, we did that more as an ode to Mr. Brown and the people that were stealing and sampling off of his stuff without him getting paid. It wasn't until after that record, that's when the sample laws was established and Mr. Brown started getting paid because he was the most sampled man in black music. And, you know, he, so we made a song. I'm real, you know, all you copycats out there, get off my tip. Cause I'm James Brown with the force. I ain't taking no lip. And we just rocked it like that for him. You know, after that record, then the cop, you know, the sample laws was made for Mr. Brown to get paid. Yeah. Wow. Incredible, Lou. Yeah, man. Um, 